So tell me about your background. Uh, I originally wanted to be a campaign manager. Uh, I started out moving to Iowa, uh, managing state legislative races, and um, I realized that uh, I wasn't really good at it, uh, mainly because I wasn't a good enough ass asshole. <laughs> I found out later in life you don't have to be a good asshole to manage campaigns, but back then I thought you had to be a really good prick mm. to get things done. Um, so I got into political data, uh, working for an organization called National Committee for Effective Congress. And um, from there, I got into just political technology overall, online fundraising, online advertising, and then I helped start a firm called Revolution Messaging in 2009. And with Revolution Messaging, so in 26, and during the 2016 presidential election, the, the company boomed because of Bernie Sa the support behind Bernie Sanders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were lucky enough to get there at the very beginning. Um, we, uh, we actually were working with Martin O'Malley's uh, PAC in 2014, and uh, they, uh, the, the governor at the time was listening to consultants who were saying, you need to run to the right of Hillary. And we were like, that's crazy. And like, no one running to the right of Hillary is going to do well this primary. Um, and so we were like, well, the only other person running is Bernie Sanders. And, and luckily enough, he, he wanted our services, and we got to, to work with him from day one. Can you tell me a little more about Revolution? Uh, we were started uh, from organizers who believed that people weren't making use of text messaging and other mobile technology in politics and in, uh, in, in the nonprofit world. Um, we started originally as a text message platform uh, for political campaigns and over time evolved into what we call a full service digital agency offering, um, offering a, a wide range of services from advertising to website development to mobile app development, social media strategy. Um, email fundraising. So 2008 was a big year because Obama had the first campaign to use a digital platform in terms of incentivizing voters. Um, would you say that that was a big, was that a big point in creating revolution or was that just a coincidence? No, that was, you know, the, the, found, the founder, Scott Goodstein, um, he was the one who really spearheaded that strategy in 2008 uh, and um, wanted to bring the work that he did the Obama's campaign to other political campaigns, especially down ballot, um, because there's always, as I'm sure you're aware, there's always a lot of innovations that have with presidential campaigns, but whether or not they can be applied to down ballot is always a big question. And that was one of the things that we started the firm trying to do is like, can we prove some of the tactics that were used for the presidential campaign? Can we prove them down ballot? What exactly is your position at Revolution? I'm the managing partner. And you do, and you manage the advertising part of the company. Yeah, so I manage all of the advertising uh, part of the company. Um, we uh, we work with a variety of uh, political and nonprofit organizations. And you currently work with some presidential candidates. Uh, currently, no. We did do work with. Um, we did work with. We helped launch uh, Tulsi Gabbard's presidential campaign, and we did a little work with Marianne Williamson. But right now we're not. We're actually working with any presidentials. Oh, what, what didn't it say? Uh, I remember looking at the website. It said that you did work during the campaign for uh, Warren and Sanders. So we did. We worked with Bernie during 2016, but we're not actually working with this campaign this cycle. Oh, okay. How has digital strategy evolved in the last 10 years? Uh, first off, it's become very much focused on the individual. When I first started working in, um, in political marketing, it was looking at, okay, which precincts do we have to focus on? Which zip codes, which areas, which DMAs? What are the, like, what's the aggregate of, of people 
that we want to go for, whether so it's soccer moms. Yeah, so micro-targeting yeah. is really the, the largest uh, uh, change over the past 10 years. Um, and then, like, the, what we have available to us, you know, 10 years ago, video was still f fairly nascent. You know, there wasn't any sort of... Um, there wasn't the same level of video advertising online that you can have now. And our phones, like, 10 years ago, were, were just now... People were just starting to use iPhones. Mm. Um, so the, the types of technologies that we have access to now are, are obviously much more diverse. So compared with Sad Nate, because Sad Nate was mostly used Facebook and MySpace to try to turn out voters for on terms of Obama's side. During the 2016 election, when you helped... Um, um, helped uh, like mold Bernie Sanders campaign in terms of digital strategy, do you see what's that difference? So what was like your main, um, your main uh, structure? Well, we didn't use MySpace. <laughs> that was no longer no longer a useful tactic. Um, Facebook still played a large role, especially on the fundraising side. Um, you know, that was a great way to find his base. Twitter, to a degree, um, especially after big moments he was having, like when uh, you may remember when the uh, bird, uh, Birdie Sanders, landed on his podium um, at, at an event, uh, at a rally. Um, we were able to leverage Twitter pretty effectively to help uh, sell stickers of the bird. Um, in terms of the like turnout and organizing operation, uh, text messaging played a huge role. Uh, there's a platform called Hustle that the campaign used, which is called Peer-to-Peer -peer Texting. Um, so we were trying to help with uh, recruit volunteers who would then go and text their friends and family or other people on the voter file, encouraging them to support Bernie Sanders. So with technology evolving the last 10 years, just obviously my space doesn't exist. <laughs> um, do you see a, a more do you see a beneficial change of this, or do you think that it's becoming more not self-aware, but it's becoming more damaging to how democracy works? Well, I, I tend to be an optimist. It does both good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, I think the good outweighs the bad, uh, but uh, we certainly see a lot of polarization with social media. Uh, we see a lot of. You know, appealing to the the, the the extremes. You know, the internet has created uh, uh, the phenomenon of 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 of, um, of clickbait, and um, you know, it's like kind of a race to the bottom in terms of how can we. What can we do to get people to pay attention to us? Mm. Um, but on the flip side, it's brought us all more together. Uh, it's made it possible to organize in a way that we've never been able to do so before in the course of human history. Um, and you know, when bad things do happen, or when good things happen, you can spread word a lot faster than, than you could before. So people who are um, suffering because of some injustice, the world gets word much faster than they would have ever, if, if even gotten before in the previous media structure. So it's like a new form of collective action. Yeah. So I know you mentioned it, and you talked a small amount of it. So political polarization is a big influence in this. It's been, a lot of people say that social digital media has been um, ramping up political position, especially since, because in the 80s and 90s, when the Fairness Doctrine was taken away, uh, media institutions were able to um, rack in more political polarization. Do you see that digital media has a large effect on this? Uh, yeah, because, I mean, like, of how fast things can spread. Um, so, you know, one big problem facing digital media is, is so-called fake news phenomenon. Um, and people who have, have no interest in telling the facts uh, are able to manipulate those who are looking for 
or some sort of justification for how they feel or how they think mm-hmm. or who they support. Um, so recently, in about a month or two ago, Facebook was was under um, was under heat because of their. Uh, policy that allows ads that are they can you can run an ad if it's fake or not so do you see that as because it, it shows on it's personally i think that that doesn't work properly because it's it, it doesn't work it, it shouldn't work because it's it's damaging because they're it's incentivizing both sides to use fake ads in order to um in order like they're to fake the voters so do you think that Company, as much as they are used in like 2016 election, especially they're going to be used a lot in the next election. Do you think that companies like Facebook and Twitter should be regulated more? I definitely think it should be regulated more. Uh, I think that um, if we're going to find a uh, a pathway to making the, the, the best usage of this technology for our our, our country and for humanity, uh, we need to have some serious conversations about um, what can and can't be said on these platforms. Uh, and you know what tactics both corporate and political campaigns are able to enable in, ter- in terms of attracting their supporters or customers. Uh, I don't agree with the fact that these platforms seem to be creating a um, divergent path of okay, political communications we're going to treat this way, mm-hmm. and corporate communications we're going to treat another way because I think that's actually very dangerous to allow. Um, just because it's a commercial endeavor, where it's okay to manipulate people. Um, but with politics, we're going to be a lot more careful. Um, I personally don't feel that like Facebook should be uh, an adjudicator of truth. I think that's something that like an international or national body should decide. Like what is you know what what's too far in terms of spreading um, disinformation on platforms. I don't I don't actually want like Facebook be, be the one deciding what's true or not because I think that causes problems as well. Yeah, because the way they see it is Facebook and Twitter, they're businesses. So if they are able to continue this, they're able to rack in more in terms of capital. So that's kind of why they would try to do it. But I, I agree with you saying that it's damaging. But with, with Facebook, because in 2016, all campaigns, so Sanders, uh, Hillary, and uh, Trump, they all use Facebook to, um, tremendously. Uh, 2016, in 2016, Donald Trump's campaign uh, with uh, help from Brad Parscale, he used Facebook and help from like uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica, so they were able to do intense micro-targeting. Do you see, a lot of people say that it's ingenious, some people say that it's malevolent. Do, what do you see that as? Do you see that as damaging, or do you think that actually was smart? Uh, I think they ran a smart campaign. I think that it could have been... Um combated, I think that the Democrats in general were asleep at the switch. We thought that there was no way that Donald Trump could ever become president. Uh, and in states like Wisconsin and, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, we weren't running like a very uh, competitive campaign. We were ceding a lot of ground um, to the right and to Trump's campaign. Um, so I mean, I, yeah, I think what he was doing was smart. I, I, I do think that it's possible to combat that. I, you know, I don't think we need to like shut down the uh, availability of micro-targeting just because the Trump campaign makes use of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cambridge Analytica is a different story whether or not they um, got that data by, you know, legitimate means or not is, is up for debate. And I don't think that you should be able to manipulate people into getting their data to then target uh, political ads to. Um, I think you need to be very upfront about, like, how you're getting data, what you're using it for. Um, you know, because that's 
everybody's right to their own personal privacy. Mm. It's almost like two flips of the coin kind of thing because there's the one side saying that in in terms of campaign it is a smart move because they're able to use that in terms of target micro targeting, but on the other side, a lot of it, especially Cambridge Analytica, there's that more nefarious kind of side, especially what happened with. Um, the year after the following, especially with Brexit in, in the UK. So the other thing is with digital agencies, especially with these new technologies, there's, I know it's not like, it's an odd segue, but deepfakes, especially, something like that. Um, there's a lot of new technologies and tools that are being used to forge new digital strategies in terms of campaigning both politics and other means. Do you see companies like Revolution adopting, not deepfakes, obviously, um, but um, do you see companies like Revolution adopting these these changes and using a more um, personal scale in terms of voter outreach? Or do you see it as more of a, we should wait until we know exactly how these tools are going to be able to be used? No, we, we definitely want to say in this cutting edge as long as it's... Um within the realm of ethical marketing. And to me, um, you know, something like the technology enables like deep fakes is not ethical. Um, you know, the, the goal with our clients is always never to manipulate voters or customers. It's, it's to, to connect them based on their passions. And, and certainly, um, if you are able to utilize technology to, to make your case um, in a more compelling manner, that I think is appropriate, but it has to make sure, like you have to make sure you're not lying to someone, not misrepresenting the, the facts, and not purposely trying to manipulate them. So with 2016, because there was a large jump between Sunday and Sun 16 in terms of uh, digital strategy, especially with new tools being used, it's only been it's only going to be four years between 2016 and 2020. Do you see that there's going to be a a large difference in terms of how campaigns are being run, how? Um, voters are going to be learning information, or do you think it's going to be around the same terms of um, structures like the last election? It's changed a little bit. There's, there's um, you know, some things just stay the same, um, but like, you know, TikTok didn't exist in, uh, in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it did. I actually don't know. I could be wrong on that, but it wasn't certainly at anywhere near the same um, uh, usage level. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, so like TikTok is already having an impact on this election mm. in terms of like where a lot of memes are coming out of, and um, you know campaigns are just now figuring out how they like incorporate a TikTok strategy. Um, so like there's definitely new platforms, there's new um, ways of, of making use of other existing platforms like Facebook and Twitter, um, but a lot of the the uh, fundamental tactics are, are staying the same, which is how do you connect with your base, how do you continue growing your base, and how do you use your base to um, reach out to other voters to try to get them to support your candidate. Is there anything you want to add in terms of digital strategy or advertising? Uh, you know, I would, I would focus a lot on like what um, what's changing. You know, Twitter has banned political advertising. Uh, a lot of people argue that, that Twitter isn't that effective for, for political advertising. I, I disagree. We used it a lot uh, during during Bernie's campaign. 
Um, you know, I don't think that he would have gotten the same reach during uh, the debates if not for Twitter advertising. We wouldn't have been able to fundraise as much if not for Twitter advertising. So that takes away like a, a strength of, of, of you know, campaigns similar to Bernie that appeals to the, the grassroots, to you know, appeals to like the populist left. I mean, like honestly, I, I I use both Facebook and Twitter, but I do use Twitter more for political information. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're not alone. <laughs> Sometimes it drives people crazy, obviously, because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, people being angry online on Twitter. Mm. But um, you know, Google just changed their policies, uh, and that's going to have impacts on the election uh, in terms of how you can target people uh, uh, through Google's network. Um, and you know, Facebook's weighing more changes as well. Um, the other thing that's really interesting that has changed from the positive light is uh, a number of these platforms now archive uh, political ads, um, which didn't happen in 2016. So we actually, for the first time, can see what political campaigns are running on Facebook and Google. Yeah, I'll send you the links if you want to like look through it. But they have um, anybody who's who's registered as a political advertiser with Google or Facebook. Um, their ads are getting archived and they're searchable and you can track how much candidates are spending um, and what kind of creative they're they're running and there's a, a limited information about how they're targeting ads. So it's kind of like a way to combat dark ads? Yeah, so it's a way to combat dark ads and also like to your point earlier, um, campaigns that uh, either are incorporating misinformation or disinformation, um, you know, you can hold them more accountable now um, as opposed to never seeing never seeing the that and the public not being aware of it existing. I remember in like twenty sixteen when people got ads from like Facebook and then they would disappear. There are ads that typically shouldn't be shown or are too or too much but you don't know exactly how or where they came from. Yeah, so now th- this is this change has made it easier to figure out what was going on. Uh, and you know that's one of the, the positive changes. I just happen to think that like we shouldn't apply this just to politics. I think that it should be applied to everybody who advertises on the platform. Like, why is it that cor- corporate advertisers are still allowed to to hide ads? Yeah. You know. So, um, you know, it, it, there's still a lot more change has to come, and that's you know part of the reason why you know regulation is 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 almost inevitable in my mind uh, because we can't rely on on these companies to to self-regulate themselves anymore. So another thing, which it's, I was watching the news about this the other day, and typically, like 2008, there was a heavy emphasis on television ads. So like there was the Hillary Clinton 3 a.m. ad. That was a big popular ad for that. But a lot of campaigns pushed on advertising into television because a lot of like older voters use television. They're a big voting block. Um, But like Obama used more digital strategy for that. And then 2016, it was more pushed into digital media too. There was a thing saying that there's actually a larger majority of people who do use television as their main means for local news. Do you think with that, there's going to be still a large focus on digital media? Or do you think it's going to be pushed more into like equal space in terms of um, television, radio, and um, digital media? You know, the, the best advertising strategy is one that makes use of all of them mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a holistic manner. Um, you know, so TV advertising is not going away. It's always going to have an impact. Um, TV is actually changing slowly into becoming more like digital because um, of, of OTT, you know, over-the-top apps, um, people, you know, cutting the cord, so to say, uh, and getting their, their television media over the Internet. Um, so, you know, that's changing how, like, advertising is served on TVs as well. Um, but, like, traditional TV, like, especially broadcast advertising is always going to play a large part uh, in political campaigns. Um, 
because uh, it's easy to tell how much your opponent is spending. And so no one ever wants to be like, my opponent is like outspending me by $10 million. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't try to match that. We should put it into something else. Most people are like, we need to combat what they're doing on broadcast first and then focus on the other channels. Even though that might not actually be the right approach because maybe the, the broadcast ads don't work anymore. Um, but it's still something that people, you know, focus on because they're they're afraid of the, their opponent spending so much. Like, I'm not supporting his campaign, but Tom Steyer, because he's been putting out, he's been saying that he's going to put in, um, he's going to put in advertising on, like, television for, like, a large... I've had to watch Tom Steyer ads, like, nonstop on TV. But with, with that, do you see that as... Because, like, Tom Steyer, for example, do you see that his... Because he does use a more... Um, he uses a hybrid, so he does use television. He still uses digital media. Do you see that as a smart campaigning? Because he did just like a month ago, he just got on the debate stage and now he's on the debate stage now. Do you see that as smart compared to other campaigns who use more digital? I think he's lighting his money on fire. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, he, he can buy all, both him and Bloomberg can buy all the TV ads in the world. It's not going to change mm -hmm. the dynamics of the race that much. He mm -hmm. has. You know, there was a certain level of investment that helped him out. He was able to get on the stage because of it. Um, but, like, to your point, you keep seeing the ads and you're not changing your support. You're not all of a sudden waking up one day and being like, you know who's a great choice for president? <laughs> Tom Steyer. Um, I mean, so it makes me more annoyed. I had to keep watching it over again. Yeah, yeah. And, in fact, after a while, it, it, it has a negative effect. Um, so... You know, advertising is always is always used in conjunction with something else. It, like in a vacuum, isn't enough mm -hmm. in politics to, to change people's perceptions mm -hmm. um, or or get you, someone to support you more. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, from my perspective, uh, Steyer is wasting his money right now. Mm -hmm. And then, because I remember this popped back in my head. So, with polarization, there's the because you know what echo chambers are, right? Yeah. Which one? Echo chambers. Yep. Yeah. So. In Twitter, especially, echo chambers are very apparent. So when there's uh, advertising in terms of support, is there typically support is aimed to dissect that echo chamber? So they're, they're trying to be to both sides? Or do you see it as more, because uh, it's micro-targeting, a lot of it's micro-targeting. But does that strategy go to all sides of voters? I would say that most advertising makes use of echo chambers, um, whether you're trying to just focus on your supporters, people want to hear your message, or uh, sometimes we do what's called shaking the hornet's nest, which is we put a message that we know will upset a certain base of people uh, in front of them because they'll get they'll react to it and start talking about it, and the earned media that you get from them being angry about seeing this in their feed actually generates more publicity for you than than uh, than you would have gotten otherwise. Um, so you know, I would say that most advertising tactics play to the, the like the play to the effect of echo chambers on on social media. And that because like the other thing is that. For example, if I see a Biden ad and that one's aimed towards me, who is not typically engaged with the ideology of Biden, but if they keep trying to pinpoint me with different slogans, different, like, for example, if my top issue is healthcare, he keeps using healthcare as that segue. So do you see that something? Because I know before I've gotten Biden ads before, but which is odd because I don't support like that in terms of like email descriptions or anything or Twitter. Um, so would you see that as smart or do you think that it's he's um, campaigns like Biden's trying to reach out to other voters that could be taken away from other sport? Yeah, I think they're trying to they're trying to prospect in that case. You know, you're probably 
whether you have similar habits to other people who, who they believe would support Biden or um, um, you know you live in an area that they want to like target or are a certain demographic they want to target um, you know there's always like I call it casting that you're always trying to put out like ways to get people bring them into the campaign um, but like you're someone who I'm gonna guess is you know made up their mind or almost made up their mind in the presidential race and um, you know a campaign like Biden's, um, you know, at some point they're wasting their money. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you see a couple ads and it yeah. doesn't bring you in, then they should stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like the smartest advertising campaigns are, are like limiting the amount of impressions they're serving um, until someone does like an action. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, to your point earlier, if you just keep seeing the ad and that over and over again, it actually annoys you and has a yeah. has a, a negative effect. Could you see? Because there that negative effect hitting me. But do you think that? Going back to Steyer again. <laughs> um, so with Steyer, a lot of his support is trying to get towards the Biden support because tr- they're trying to get that older American block. Do you see something like that could be positive? Because in terms of support, I haven't seen any other ads besides Steyer. So would that mean that in terms of that strategy, it's smart? I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. So you, you've only had... You've only seen... I've only seen Steyer on, on TV. On TV. But do you think that, like, in terms of other sport, like, he's, if he's trying to get older Americans, do you think that kind of would help it, or do you still think it's it's useless? For Biden? No, or for Steyer. Steyer. Um, I think that he... I think it's useful in certain demographics, to your point, um, but only to a certain amount. There's, there's only so much he's going to get from it, and I think that he has already gotten what he can mm. from running a fairly long like just putting more money in advertising right now isn't going to do anything for him he has to find another way to break through mm. um, so I think it was smart to begin with but it's no longer mm. uh, a, a useful tactic for them so he hit that special yeah. yeah and then I know that in terms of revolution they supported Bernie in the 2016 election is there um, if it is Bernie or something once do you see a campaign particularly sticking out that has a very unique strategy um, Bernie is definitely running a really uh, you know, effective campaign online. Mm. Um, so is Warren. Mm. Uh, they both been very aggressive uh, in building out their base and, 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 and engaging in rapid response. Um, I was actually impressed uh, the other day Biden released a video attacking Trump that I thought was very good. Mm. Um, and was like the first time I've seen them move so quickly, which mm. is like one of the things you have to do very well. Uh, one of the things you have to do to do well uh, on digital media is you have to move quickly. And, and the, typically a campaign like um, Biden's isn't set up to be able to do rapid response. Mm. Uh, there's too many people who have to approve something. Um, Pete Buttigieg uh, has been aggressive in their digital advertising spends uh, in Iowa, and I think that that has, has paid dividends. Um, he's outspent the other candidates there uh, digitally. And then for, because Trump's campaign said that it was last year, they said that they're not going to use Facebook as extensively, extensively as it did before. Do you think that they're going to go back on the word, or do you think that if they do end up not using Facebook to the same extent as 2016, that their strategy will not be as strong? I think they've already gone back on their word. They they were spending a ton around impeachment. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's for fundraising. Yeah. And so what they may mean is they're you know in terms of their their persuade you know awareness and persuasion and turnout efforts, they're not going to use as much Facebook. 
we'll have to see what they do. Um, I don't think that the Trump campaign is going to be upfront with like what their tactics are with people. Uh, you know, I think that they they tend to say a lot of things to try to throw people off the scent. And then, in terms of that, I'll get back to that. Um, so, with that said, with um, twenty sixteen or with the twenty twenty elections right now, uh, the that's what it was with impeachment. So that's a more, it's still a partisan issue, but it's not a camp, it's kind of a campaign issue. So would you say that, because both sides are, because instead of having it as simply campaigns versus campaigns, now it's party versus party. So with that being said, has digital strategy worked for one, because in terms of support, impeachment support for or against the president hasn't, it's been wavering slightly, but not too extreme. Do you see that as, both parties are running adequate campaigns, or they're both running um, stingy campaigns. I think just the, the the general public is is very deadlocked in terms of hating and not hating Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think all the supporters love Trump. They just they maybe hold their nose mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, and uh, you know, to your point earlier, when it comes to echo chambers, uh, cable news is a big one as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people watching Fox News versus CNN or MSNBC are going to have a very different view of, like, what the, the impeachment proceedings are like and whether they're fair or not. Um, and whether or not, like, what the president did uh, was uh, despicable or not. Um, I think it could change when there, when it advances to the Senate uh, and there's a trial. Um, because I think that, like, it'll be harder for the right wing uh, uh echo chamber to like filter out what's happening it's going to be like clips of, of, of directly what's happening in the trial um so we'll see but i mean it'll probably end up being roughly the same as it is now with like half the country supporting half not so even with companies like acronym putting a lot of a lot of money i think what was it like 75 million the last few months yeah um and then i'm not i'm not sure the other companies in terms of um public and support so do you see it as more they're just throwing money away no i mean like what acronym is doing is focusing on the general election mm-hmm. um i'm not aware of them like announcing anything around like the impeachment so they're focused on like you know, what can they do in the states, that uh, the swing states, um, between now and Election Day to make sure that Trump loses? Um, you know, I think that they're running a smart program. I think others, you know, priorities as well as running a smart program. Um, there's just not that much on the left focused on impeachment right now from, like, a paid media perspective. The candidates are, are focusing on their fundraising operations and, and building out their bases. Um, and, like, left-leaning uh, political groups that, that sometimes advertise in the space haven't really like waded in with a lot of money um, to try to influence people's perception of impeachment. So even with having um, advertising digital strategy in terms of that pushing into voters on like Twitter, Facebook, even me- in terms of like traditional media, so you see it as it's no one's really going to change their mind that much. I you know I think we're just we're very very deadlocked as a country. Um, I think that they can change their minds a little, uh, and I think that if someone ran an aggressive advertising campaign, um, it could it could change um, the scale a few points, which with it being so close, just a few points could really like shape um, public opinion. And then the 2020, 
do you see because right now it's campaign versus campaign so it's all that little um, nitpick of each voting block so there's gonna be a large uh, there's different districts like Biden is more towards um, older Americans so it's more of Facebook a lot of that or in terms of traditional media um, Bernie and Warren they're using more um, they're doing um, digital versus traditional so with that once that's all said and done and it's whatever candidate is it going to be more aggressive when it comes down to whoever's going to have to face against Trump? Or do you see it as it's just going to be probably more or less the same as what it is now? I hope it's more aggressive. I, mean, I think that like the Trump campaign's um, spending a lot of resources testing uh, and, and making use of digital media. And um, you know, I hope, that, I hope that whoever the nominee is is ready to uh, combat that. So in terms, because the whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be having an aggressive policy in terms of that strategy, um, but do you see it as in terms of both candidates? Do you see it as it's going to be more because it was mo- it was mainly uh, Facebook with the big aggregator back in 2016. So both used it, but Trump was able to use Facebook a little more like aggressively. Do you see it as it could be more or less the same, or do you think that it's going to be um, there could be a little more? Um, I don't know what the term basically just saying that there's going to be um, I know I keep using it but aggression in terms of both sides uh, you know I think that the left is you know certainly going to be paying a lot more attention to Facebook than they were before um, Hillary's campaign wasn't really using it to the extent to your point that like Trump's campaign was and I think that we've learned from that mistake um, the nice, the nice thing about uh, you know the, the political archives being um, public is that um, we'll be able to see you know what the spend levels are. So that's going to be driving a lot of you know how aggressive people are in terms of like their Facebook spending is is going to be like well is Trump spending a lot this week then then the Democrats may work one kind or vice versa. Well, because in 2016, Facebook put them out there, said, like, we'll work with any candidate because they worked in the Trump Tower, or maybe not Trump Tower, but it was um, one of their headquarters. Hillary, um, Hillary's campaign, they didn't have it as they rejected their offer of having that. So would you see that whoever is the nominee, it's going to try to try to use Facebook in that in that manner as, as they should have done in 2016? I hope so. Is there any other thoughts you had to add? No, I, the, the only other thought I guess I would add is I, I hope that whatever the outcome, uh, that the, <laughs> the, 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 the losing party respects it. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm worried what happens when, uh, you know, if, if Trump loses and, and he's like, I'm not leaving office, this is an illegitimate election. Hopefully we'll never have to get to that point. I hope not. <laughs> but thank you, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for your time.